Listen to any earnings call with the Borstar Earnings Call mobile app now available on the App Store. Check the show notes for the download link. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining Atlassian's earnings conference call for the second quarter of fiscal 2019. As a reminder, this conference call is being recorded and will be available for replay from the Investor Relations section of Atlassian's website following this call. I will now hand the call over to Ian Lee, Atlassian's Head of Investor Relations. Good afternoon and welcome to Atlassian's second quarter fiscal 2019 earnings conference call. On the call today, we have Atlassian's co-founders and CEOs, Scott Farquhar and Mike Cannon-Brooks, our Chief Financial Officer, James Beer, and our President, Jay Simons. Early today, we issued a press release and a shareholder letter with our financial results and commentary for our second quarter of fiscal 2019. These items were also posted on the Investor Relations section of Atlassian's website at investors.atlassian.com. On our IR website, there's also an accompanying presentation and data sheet available. We'll make some brief opening remarks and then spend the rest of the call on Q&A. Statements made on this call include forward-looking statements. Forward-looking statements involve known and unknown risks, uncertainties and other factors that may cause our actual results, performance or achievements to be materially different from any future results, performance or achievements expressed or implied by the forward-looking results. You should not rely upon forward-looking statements as predictions of future events. Forward-looking statements represent our management's beliefs and assumptions only as of the date such statements are made. Further information on these and other factors that could affect the company's financial results is included in filings we make with the Securities and Exchange Commission from time to time, including the section titled Risk Factors in our most recent Form 20F and Quarterly Report on Form 6K. In addition, during today's call, we will discuss non-IFRS financial measures. These non-IFRS financial measures are in addition to and not a substitute for or superior to measures of financial performance prepared in accordance with IFRS. There are a number of limitations related to the use of these non-IFRS financial measures versus their nearest IFRS equivalents, and they may be different from non-IFRS and non-GAAP measures used by other companies. A reconciliation between IFRS and non-IFRS financial measures is available on our earnings release, our shareholder letter, and in our updated investor data sheet on our IR website. I will now turn the call over to Mike for his brief opening remarks before we move to Q&A. Good day, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Q2 was a beauty, a great way to cap off 2018 as we surpassed $1 billion in calendar year revenue for the first time. In Q2, we had $299 million in revenue, up 39% year over year. For the quarter, we also generated more than $122 million worth of free cash flow. In October, we closed the acquisition of OpsGenie, a leader in incident alerting and on-call schedule management. We're tremendously excited to have them join the Atlassian family as we double down on IT teams this year. IT organizations, big and small, are becoming more service-driven and agile-oriented. And as technology becomes the key ingredient for growth and survival of nearly any business. We're excited about the role we play in helping IT drive that transformation. And OpsGenie plays a key role in strengthening the service and response muscle for IT teams across the Fortune 500,000. During Q2, we also acquired Butler for Trello, one of Trello's most popular integrations. Butler gives Trello users the ability to work smarter and faster by bringing the power of workplace automation to their Trello boards. Individual users can shrink multiple steps into one or have things like user assignments or status change based on triggers or rules that they set up themselves. It's a superpower that we're excited to bring to the millions of daily Trello users. I'm also excited to share that Jira Software recently surpassed 65,000 customers. 
This is more customers than the entire company had when we went public just three years ago. Including Opsgenie, we ended Q2 with a total customer count of more than 138,000. We provided more detail on these announcements, along with many other updates, in our earnings release and shareholder letter that was issued earlier today. And with that, I'll pass the call to the operator for Q&A. Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. To ask a question, you may press star, then one on your telephone keypad. If you're using the speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing the keys. To withdraw your question, please press star, then two. This time, we will pause momentarily to assemble our roster. The first question comes from Bavon Suri with William Blair. Please go ahead. Hey, guys. Congratulations. That, that was a spectacular, spectacular quarter, so uh, great job there. Um, I guess I just want to touch on uh, a couple quick things, uh, and I just, it's one question, but with, with, with two small parts. When you think about the quarter specifically, I'd love to understand sort of the impact pricing changes had um, in terms of pull forward and sort of what the impact of that might have been. Just some, some quantitative and then also qualitative commentary on sort of how that played out to the customer behavior you've seen in the past year, given the pricing increase, what they thought, churn, et cetera, and then the pull forward. Thank you. Oh, well, thanks, Pavan, for that question. Uh, you know, the, the first thing that I'd really like to emphasize is that our, our key top-line metric that we focus on to, to measure our business continues to be revenue. Uh, and that's because we are, are not like most traditional enterprise software companies in that the significant majority of our business is made up of either monthly or annual subscriptions or annual maintenance contracts. And we expect this to be increasingly the case as our customers continue to choose our cloud and data center offerings. Uh, to, to further emphasize this point, again, unlike many other software companies, multi-year deals are only a tiny fraction of our business, while pull-forward activity by our customers ahead of a server price increase drives really just a timing difference rather than a change in the scale of our relationship with that customer. So as a result, we very much believe uh, the revenue is a, a better reflection of the underlying customer demand for our business when you consider our performance over time. Uh, but more specifically to address your question uh, around pull-forward activity, uh, you know, as we indicated on the call uh, last quarter, uh, we did see a, a significant volume of Q2 transactions uh, coming in ahead of the server price increases taking effect. Uh, and this activity came in uh, the form of both early annual renewals and multi-year renewals. So this pull-forward activity, in essence, replaced what would otherwise have occurred in the second half of our current fiscal year or uh, the following two fiscal years as well. You know, in terms of uh, the part of your question around uh, the customer behavior and so forth, um, uh, again, as expected, and you know, I, I must say I'm pleased by the overall reaction to the price increases that we've had from our customer base. And I think that's illustrative of the way we roll out price increases. We give lead time, and of course, accompanied with those price increases are very significant improvements in the product. We're uh, investing heavily in our product every month, uh, and this comes through in terms of the value we create for our customers. That's really helpful. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the uh, color there. Thank you, and congrats. 
Okay, the next question comes from Nikolai Belioff with Bank of America. Please go ahead. Hi. Hi, thanks for taking my questions and congratulations on, on the result here. I have a pretty basic question for the team. You highlighted 65,000 uh, Jira software customers. Can you please remind us kind of roughly the split between Jira Core and Jira software? And right now, where do you think um, is the penetration um, of, of the potential market uh, for Jira software? Are we in the second inning, the, the fourth inning? Just wanted to get the opinion of the team. Thanks for the question, it's uh, Scott here. Uh, we don't break out uh, Jira Core but Jira from Jira Software, um, but I think it's, you know, Jira Core is a relatively recent offering for us and it's still growing. Um, so you know, it would be safe to say that the majority of our revenue in you know, the Jira broad, the Jira family comes from Jira Software and Jira Service Desk, and um, but still the majority is, uh, is Jira Software. Um, from, uh, I think your, what was your second question was around, are we the first, second, or third, or fourth innings? I think that's an American term. I think I have to translate that to like a cricket term. Are we, you know, the third day of the test, I guess. Um, and for us, like, the, the way I think about it is the, the software market is growing incredibly fast. So every company is becoming a software company. Um, so the market itself is growing very fast. Uh, we are growing our, continue to grow our customer base within that market uh, incredibly, uh, incredibly well. And then we're also growing our share of wallet within our customer base as we do more things for them, such as Opsgenie, which we talked about, the Jira Service Desk. Um, and we also, as we start going adjacent into more IT uh, teams, uh, we're seeing that as a sort of a new market opportunity for us as well. So um, I feel very good about the, the, both the TAM and the sort of relatively small penetration we have within that TAM today. And just to add one point on to what Scott was saying there, uh, you know, the US, U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics recently came out with some, some data estimating that the number of software developers in the world is going to be growing 24% annually through 2026. So uh, a very interesting illustration of the, uh, the future potential. Got it. And James, quick question for you. Long-term deferred revenue increased sequentially quite a bit. We haven't seen that in a while. What drove that, and, and what do you think the forward trends would be in uh, long-term DR over the next couple of quarters? Yes, well, as you say, uh, long-term deferred revenue sequentially was up around $14 million, and that certainly is a larger bump uh, than we would usually see from one quarter to the next. And, you know, that was very much driven uh, by this pull-forward activity uh, that I was referring to earlier, in particular, obviously, the multi-year part of that pull-forward activity, uh, because the long-term deferred revenue uh, represents uh, activity that will um, uh, be earned into revenue uh, beyond 12 months from now. Thank you. Okay, the next question comes from Heather Bellini with Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Hi, this is actually Ted Lynn on for Heather. Uh, thanks for taking my question, and congrats on the, the strong quarter. Um, I was wondering if you could just give us an update maybe on your overall philosophy on pricing. Uh, historically, it seems like you've gotten a lot of people in at a very low price to, to help prove willingness to pay, and so for a lot of your customer base, it's a pretty high you know, value-to-cost product. So how do you capture more of the value that your customers are getting longer term? Uh, yeah, hey, this is Jay. Um, so I think you captured the philosophy in, in your question that we believe in providing incredible product at the most affordable price. That's been consist consistent through the company's uh, history. We also believe on creating opportunities to land inside of customers 
uh, where we remove prices as, as, uh, as part of the friction. And so in Optionee, you'll notice that in October, you know, shortly after close, uh, we lowered pricing, introduced a free plan. Uh, we are transparent with our pricing, so across the spectrum of what customers can buy and, and how they grow with us, we basically share those price points so they don't have to ask. And, uh, and that's effectively the, the philosophy. You know, where we uh, work to, to participate in greater share of wallet is in uh, adding more capability and more premium features that support enterprises as they scale with us. And so we've done that in the context of the data center product family, which we've talked about is growing nicely and continues to grow uh, in the cloud. We've done that in the context of access, which is effectively a, a premium capability that supports uh, stronger identity and security management for customers. Great, thanks for the color. Um, and I guess on the core, given the, the strong outperformance and the strong pull forward that you saw, how should we think about kind of that impacting the shape of the seasonality of deferred revenue and billings kind of for the rest of the fiscal year? Thanks. Well, uh, you know, I, I would just sort of re-confirm um, uh, that that pull forward activity uh, would have come from both the second half uh, uh, both quarters of the second half of this fiscal year, as well as the two subsequent uh, fiscal years, fiscal 20 and 21. Uh, yeah, and, and you're right, by looking at that sequential path of both short-term and long-term deferred revenue, you can get something for a steer as to the balance of where that pull-forward activity came from. Makes sense. Thanks for the, thanks for the color. Okay, thanks. The next question comes from Itai Kidron with Oppenheimer. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks, and congrats, guys. Great quarter. A um, couple of questions for me. First of all, uh, since you know how many people pulled uh, in revenue, can you roughly tell us what was billing growth without this pull-in effect? And then the second question, more on the competitive front, now that GitHub is part of uh, Microsoft, you haven't talked much in your prepared months about Bitbucket, but can you tell us if anything is changing competitively? How's momentum in that business? Um, is anything changing out there in the, in the marketplace? Yeah, just briefly to the first point, I, I just sort of reemphasize our focus on revenue as the, uh, uh, the top-line metric that we track to really understand the uh, underlying relationship with our customers at the time. Uh, Scott, are you going to take yeah, the second one? Yeah, I mean, one? GitHub uh, acquisition from Microsoft. We haven't seen any material change this quarter in the competitive market. Um, we believe uh, what we have said previously, which is that Microsoft's primary goal in acquiring GitHub was to get more of their developers uh, into Azure, and that's what we continue to see to be the uh, Microsoft focus. Um, so there's no real change in the last quarter on that front, even with the, um, the changes in how they priced uh, GitHub. Very good. Okay. The next question comes from Keith Weiss with Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Excellent. Uh, thank you guys for taking the question, and uh, very, very nice quarter indeed. Um, I was hoping to sneak in two questions, one on um, Ops Genie and kind of the competitive environment that you see out there, um, where kind of like the combined offering that you guys are bringing to market is going to um, sort of be able to gain some competitive advantage. And then on uh, maybe one for James on the operating margin side of the equation, um, also like a really impressive quarter uh, for operating margins. You saw some real nice year-on-year -year improvement. 
the guidance doesn't have that. The guidance is a much kind of more muted year-on-year um, -year compare in terms of operating margins. Can you talk to us a little bit about sort of where those areas of investment are and sort of why um, on a year-on-year -year basis it would be so much lower kind of improvement on operating margins in Q3 versus Q2? Uh, Scott here, I'll take the, uh, the question about the opportunity in the competitive market. Like, we feel incredibly bullish and excited about uh, the market for incident management. Uh, if you, for those of you who you know, sort of knew the story, um, as developers move their workloads to the cloud, um, as companies become more so of a software company, developers are increasingly being on call. Um, you know, they're uh, responsible for making sure that their code, you know, stays up to production and performance. And when it's not, they need uh, companies need waiters of alerting their developers and uh, coordinating responses. And those responses could be around downtime, they could be around security incidents, all these things that are involved when you're running uh, code at scale uh, in the cloud. And uh, Opsgeny is uh, you know a response and uh, plays in that space. And we feel really uh, very bullish about that. We have Opsgeny that does the incident alerting part. We have Jira, um, which uh, handles a lot of the tasks before and after. And we know Jira is the way that our work gets done in organizations, and so putting those two things together is very powerful. And we also have Status Page, which is uh, the leading provider of, uh, you know, status pages on the web that uh, uh, to communicate with your customers if you're having downtime. And uh, so, you know, when customers have problems, they want to, you know, know that something's up at the provider, and we use Status Page for that. So that combination of those three products is, uh, in my opinion, unmatched out there uh, in the market, and we're really bullish about bringing those together. And Keith, on, on the uh, the margin side of things, let me handle that. Um, in Q2, obviously, uh, we did see a strong operating margin, uh, you know, really driven by uh, some nice performance on the revenue line, and then on the spending side of things, uh, both in the cost of goods sold, uh, we saw some nice benefits there as we uh, continue to work on the efficiency and effectiveness of our hosting expenditures. Uh, on the operating expense side, uh, I'd point to some timing issues around the arrival of additional headcount uh, and also some uh, lesser than expected spending around certain professional services. So uh, all of that combined to drive the Q2 result. Uh, and as you note, um, uh, we are expecting margins to be lower in the back half of the year. And so as you think about the Q3 story, there are uh, a few different things driving that. Um, first of all, Q3 is when we um, uh, issue additional salary increases to uh, our, our team, uh, and so that begins to kick in. And also, uh, Q3 represents the start of the calendar year, obviously, and therefore the payroll tax reset uh, associated with our employee expenditures. Uh, and uh, in addition to that, um, you know, as we talked about uh, on the last call, we've really been putting uh, effort and investment into our hiring engine, if you will, uh, and uh, you know, we're pleased with the progress that we're making in that regard. Uh, and so uh, while we increased uh, our employee counts uh, substantially in Q2, I would expect um, uh, obviously about half of that was driven by Opsgenie, uh, I would expect uh, the organic level of uh, headcount uh, to continue to increase in Q3 uh, as we particularly invest in our R&D-centric model. Uh, and 
within the R&D area, we see a lot of different opportunities, obviously right across our business, but I would particularly point to uh, our cloud products as a whole, uh, to our work on our cloud platform, which you can think of really as uh, us developing common componentry uh, that we'll utilize across the different cloud services. Of course, this will allow us to build cloud services more efficiently and more quickly, uh, as well as helping us uh, adjust our ability, improve our ability to deal with larger deployment sizes uh, while continuing to uh, enhance our security and privacy, compliance requirements, that sort of thing. Uh, we've talked a lot about the IT market opportunities, so we'll be particularly investing there. Uh, I'd call out OpsGenie as one clear example in that arena. Uh, and then I'd also point to the data center offerings for our on-premises customers. We've been very pleased with the growth rate in recent quarters there, and uh, I would expect that to continue into the future. Excellent. Thank you, guys. The next question comes from Richard Davis with DG Financial. Please go ahead. Hey, thanks. It's DG, but that's okay. <laughs> hey, so about, I think it was like 85% of your new customers came on as cloud subscribers. Is there any difference in lifetime customer value for cloud customers versus on-premise? I'm sure there's a different shape in the profitability, but I've just always wondered about that. Thanks. Hey, Richard. Uh, this is Jay, not materially. Um, you know, I, I think as we've mentioned before, um, you know, cloud cloud is a little more expensive uh, than server. We also have the ability to operate cloud a little differently than we can in server because we have uh, kind of visibility into how the product's being used, and we have kind of different avenues that we can leverage for cross-sell and expansion and kind of connecting uh, to the customer, you know, to the customer kind of in product to open up different paths and, and avenues for cross-selling in other products. But uh, from a lifetime value, I think they're pretty comparable, and that sings to the strengths. I think that the products provide themselves and the value they provide to, to customers. Great. Yeah, Richard, Great. this is uh, this is Mike. Hey, bud. This is Mike. Just chipping one thing. Um, uh, when Jay says the customer lifetime value is comparable, he means on a customer potential basis. Uh, so we tend to calculate, for example, if someone is a 50-person company, you know, going wall to wall in that company, we can sell 50 seats. If someone is a 50,000-person company, we can potentially sell 50,000 seats. So uh, for the size of the company, our potential return or lifetime value is equivalent. Generally, the larger the company, the less likely they are to choose cloud today, but obviously that's, that's changing on a sort of, you know, on a timescale basis, if that makes sense. No, that's super helpful. Thanks very much. The next question comes from John DeFuji with Jefferies. Please go ahead. Hey guys, this is Zach Bounces for John. How, could you talk a little bit about the Slack partnership, um, how, how it's going, the transitions from Stride and, and HipChat, uh, and then any changes there competitively with, with Microsoft or, or anyone else? Yeah, hey Matt, I can, uh, I can talk to that. It's Mike, sure. Um, look, it's going, um, I'd say the partnership's going very, very well. Um, you know, we have a great relationship there. Uh, we continue to uh, work together and, and, and build out features and functions that help uh, uh, joint customers across our product portfolios to have, have the best experience that they can. Um, uh, we continue to move through the, um, you know, the transition and migration period for uh, HipChat and Stride customers. Um, again, uh, there's about a month and a bit uh, left of that, um, so we continue to work with you know, big and small customers to help them help them migrate uh, and to get into that uh, into that future world. 
Um, I don't, I don't know. If we have anything else to, to call out on the, on the go-to-market side there, but uh, but it's, it's been going pretty well so far. Okay, thank you very much. And then James, if I could, um, the you, you guys raised that convert uh, a few quarters ago. You're at like 800 million or something in net cash today. I was wondering how you guys think about the positioning there going forward. Um, any additional raises uh, that you might looking to make, um, and what the ideal balance. Yeah, I think uh, uh, the convert, as well as our ongoing free cash flow generation, provides us with substantial financial flexibility. Um, so, uh, you know, we're very pleased by that, given the scale of the market opportunity that we have in front of us. Uh, uh, so, we're obviously uh, very pleased with, uh, in particular, the continued progression of our cash flow results. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you guys very much. Okay, the next question comes from Michael Turritz with Raymond James. Please go ahead. Hey, guys. Good evening. Good quarter. Um, on the upside on the billings, uh, how much of it was, in addition to the pull forward, may have been a – was there any particular shift to more uh, data center and um, uh, multi-year contracts, either on data center or on maintenance? Yeah, uh Michael, I, I wouldn't uh, point to anything in particular uh, other than what I've really commented on already. Um, uh, so uh, remember that the price increases really applied to our server business. We did not increase prices on the data center business. Uh, so uh, it was really much more that part of the overall platform that we offer that was driving the pull forward. Got it. And then also a strong quarter on the other uh, line, which includes marketplace. Anything that suggests any particular inflection there? Yeah, we were very pleased with the uh, the marketplace performance, as we have been now for uh, a number of quarters. Um, you know, one additional accounting element, uh, as a, in terms of a technical issue, uh, is that pull forward activity related to our customers buying marketplace apps, uh, our portion of, uh, of those purchases uh, drops straight into revenue in the quarter that they occurred, uh, since we've already satisfied any uh, um, conditions that we need to uh, uh, be uh, uh, able to execute on at that point. Okay. Thanks very much. Okay, the next question comes from Rishi Jaluria with DA Davidson. Please go ahead. Thanks. Hey guys, thanks for, for taking my questions. Uh, two, two quick ones. Uh, first, just uh, the, the, the stat you gave around cloud customers, uh, definitely really impressive. It's you know, nearly 75% of, of total customers. Can you just give us a sense for, for you know, how this number has you know, directly trended over time and, and, and where do you think it will end up over time, especially given that 85% of net new customers were, were cloud customers and then I've got a follow-up? Oh, look, I can answer that. I mean, directionally, it's, it's, you know, it's clear in the numbers. Uh, as we said, it's more than 85% of new customers come into the cloud. Uh, I would say we expect that to continue to trend upwards as, as companies increasingly, you know, uh, um, fundamentally, if you zoom out, the cloud um, can provide a better offering than I think most companies can run themselves, right? It can be more secure. It can be faster. It takes away the operational management hurdles. You don't have to upgrade it. So there's 
there's inherent obvious advantages in the cloud. Um, you know, our belief is it's going to be a decade-long transition, and, and, you know, the majority, the vast majority of software will be run in the cloud. So, you know, we're seeing 85% um, plus of new customers coming in choosing that. It, it's logical that our overall customer base would trend to that and then continue to trend up as, as that's the case. Um, at the same time, you know, we, we don't, um, you know, force migrate customers. It should be very clear. We, we are pro-customer choice, um, and there's a significant number of companies for whom, you know, that's not their choice. Uh, that is a distinct advantage of Atlassian over a pure cloud vendor is that we can provide uh, a better or more holistic offering as companies go through that transition internally uh, over the next decade. Got it. Thanks. That, that, that's helpful. Uh, and, and then one follow-up for, for James on, on the gross margin uh, uh, you know, guidance. Um, I, I guess just how should we be thinking about why you know, implied Q4 gross margins should, should be dropping from where they are? And then with the AWS you know, migration being, being done, what should the longer impact on gross margins be? Thanks. Yeah, so uh, in the back half of this fiscal year, we'll continue to be investing in some of the data center infrastructure uh, in uh, Asia Pacific in particular. Uh, so uh, that will drive some additional cogs for us. Uh, over the longer term, obviously, uh, as Mike was just uh, uh, pointing out, we would expect uh, cloud to continue to steadily grow as an overall proportion of the business. Uh, and uh, we know cloud um, comes with lower gross margins uh, than uh, the uh, behind the firewall platform offerings that we have uh, because obviously we're doing the hosting work, uh, whereas uh, behind the firewall our customer is paying for that activity. Okay, got it. Thank you. Okay, the next question comes from Keith Bachman with BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Uh, Hi, thank you very much for taking the questions. Um, I had two quickies and a, a, a longer-term question, but the, what, was there any inorganic help or was the inorganic help uh, in any way material in the quarter you just reported? Uh, in addition, Europe looked like it had some strength there. Was anything uh, you wanted to call out uh, in Europe as being unusual or what was the driver of strength? And then I'll wait to ask my follow-up. Thanks. Yeah, so in terms of uh, inorganic activity, we closed the OpsGenie transaction uh, at the start of the quarter. Uh, and when we announced that transaction, we indicated that it would drive around a, a point of revenue growth for us during fiscal 19. Uh, so that would be the only fact that we would have got a full quarter effect uh, of OpsGenie on the revenue side there. Uh, in Europe, uh, uh, well, what I would point to there is that uh, our channel uh, is a very important component of our distribution generally, uh, and indeed around half of our channel partners are in Europe. So it's a particularly important part of our European distribution business, uh, and, uh, uh, and those channel partners uh, in Europe in particular worked effectively with our customers around some of the pull-forward activity that we spoke of earlier, uh, and some of that activity, uh, I mentioned the marketplace activity uh, in an earlier answer, uh, does drop uh, immediately in the quarter to revenue. Uh, so that would have also uh, benefited that EMEA growth rate that you see. 
Okay, fair enough. And then the question I wanted to ask, again, directional and philosophical, is when you're thinking about your revenue growth profile, there's a few things that uh, impact it. One is prices, the other is mix, but I'm also just trying to understand how we should think about subscriber growth as being a driver of future revenue growth. And is, is there any kind of metrics that we should be thinking about? Is it the key driver um, of, of your growth going forward or just any kind of categorization of uh, how that impacts the top line? Thanks. Uh, yeah, good, Amanda. I can talk about that, I guess, philosophically. Um, look, we've been very clear that we have a lot of different growth vectors in, in our quite unique business, um, and, and that's, a, you know, that's a constant challenge, um, intellectual challenge for us to manage um, between the different levers, uh, but I think we've done, if you look at our history, a pretty good job so far. Um, when we talk about that, obviously, you, you get the headline customer number, uh, which was past 138,000, which is a great number. Um, but that only means that that uh, is a, a you know a singular domain name. Think of it as a singular company that's become an Atlassian right. customer. They then have a lot of different ways to grow. As you've seen us over time uh, build out the portfolio. As we add more products, there are more things that that particular customer can buy. Uh, secondly, obviously, the customer themselves can grow inside the product that they're already in. So if they land in Jira Software, they land in Trello, they're in Confluence. They can just literally add more of their company to that. So if they've got 10,000 employees, they might start with a 50-person team somewhere, uh, and our job is to continue to deliver value to them over time so that they will grow into a 100-person uh, customer for us, then a 1,000-person, and hopefully to a 10,000-person customer. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's just within our stable. Um, the other thing, obviously, is things like the marketplace, which has been called out a couple times on the call, which is an ability for that customer to grow outside uh, of things that Atlassian builds, and we provide the platform for that um, to connect those uh, vendors and the, the great ecosystem we have with those customers um, uh, in, a, in a transactional way. Um, and then lastly, you've seen us, um, I would say, judiciously uh, exercise our acquisition model over time uh, as another way for, for the business to grow. So um, the headline customer number, uh, 138,000, is, is a very good one, but we have a lot of ways to grow those customers within, within that number. Okay. All right. Thanks very much. Good luck. Okay. The next question comes from Jonathan Keyes with Summit. Please go ahead. Great. Um, uh, thanks for taking my questions. Hey, guys. Um, it uh, was indeed a, a ripper of a quarter, and that's impressive given them. Uh, the gloom and doom, and you know, you you see in the headlines, you're reading the headlines uh, in the news. Um, I, I guess my question is uh, more uh, what. Um, what uh, concerns you in terms of the the macro issues, or are you not seeing much? I would think uh, you at least encounter stuff like um, uh, the government shutdown. You do have uh, exposure to um, uh, the government, the federal business. Um, there is indications of uh, IT uh, slowdown, uh, and that would impact software. You obviously don't manufacture in um, uh, stuff in China, so that doesn't impact you, but. Uh, in general, what are uh, the macro issues that you are seeing and that concerns you? Yeah, uh, Jonathan, I'll take that one. Uh, you know, we, are, we aren't seeing anything uh, specific in terms of uh, macro weakness. Uh, as you point out, our exposure to China is really immaterial. Um, and while you know, we certainly wouldn't say that we're immune to a recession, we also believe that uh, 
uh, as was quoted back uh, around the IPO times, uh, that our business is very much built for stormy weather. Uh, so you know, the company has been able to uh, very nicely weather the last two recessions. And you know, I think our low-cost, high-value model uh, is a big driver of that. And uh, uh, you know, another thing to consider, of course, is that uh, the way uh, we distribute our product, it's really chosen by the end users. Uh, rather than sold top-down and pushed onto those users. Uh, and so feel good about the business model's ability to withstand a, a, a dip economically. Okay. All right. Okay. That's, that's helpful. Uh, if I can ask one other question. Uh, you mentioned that, uh, James, that uh, uh, obviously uh, margins are going to be going down in, in the second half, uh, specifically uh, operating margins. Uh, sales and marketing ticked up uh, substantially uh, on a sequential basis there, and actually in, over the last several quarters. Uh, is this going to be the uh, new norm? I know in the past you've talked about initiatives to um, try to promote Trello, focus on that first, um, and launch it across the, the world, and then focus on monetization later. Are we talking about um, we're going to be, be seeing uh, increased levels of um, uh, sales and marketing um, going forward even beyond second half? Well, uh, you know, on the call last quarter, uh, we spoke about the fact that we were going to uh, enter into a, a specific marketing campaign around Ops Genie um, in combination with, as Jay was discussing earlier, the price reductions that we rolled out into the marketplace. And you may have seen some of that activity uh, uh, around uh, the country. Uh, so that was a, a big focus of Q2, uh, and uh, I, I would say that we do have uh, some plans for the balance of this year uh, to continue to push on that IT market opportunity. Uh, the other thing that I would point to is Jira uh, uh, Software Cloud uh, was uh, relaunched uh, just back in October, and uh, Jay and his team have been putting uh, considerable uh, marketing effort behind that as well. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, I wouldn't necessarily uh, draw you know, a long-term trend uh, around the, the current level of activity uh, in the sales and marketing arena, uh, but we're very pleased with the investments that we've been making there and uh, expect to make for the balance of this fiscal year. Okay, great. That helps. Thanks a lot. Congrats, guys. Thank you. Okay, the next question comes from Derek Wood with Callan & Company. Please go ahead. Great. Thanks for taking my questions. And I guess on that comment, the relaunch of the Jira Software Cloud and, and the, the increase in the user scale capabilities with Jira and Confluence, uh, I'm curious, are you seeing increased interest from your on-premise base looking to migrate to the cloud, or you generally see kind of the, the cloud versus the data center base swimming in two different lanes? Yeah, hey Derek, I'll take that. Uh, you know, migration between server from server to cloud, you know, has been kind of ongoing with different as different segments of the market to the point that Mike made earlier, uh, move to cloud for all of all of the advantages that Mike described. Uh, we also kind of opened the aperture uh, on cloud to support larger companies where we moved kind of, as you noted, the the user limit increase from 2,000 to 5,000 for Jira software and 
And uh, Confluence, uh, or Confluence, as we do that, it'll open up the opportunity for larger customers to move. Um, the data center business continues to grow for, co for companies that, uh, for, for, for reasons of their choosing, want to remain on server, but run our products at scale to support thousands to tens of, tens of thousands of users. And so I, I think the way we think about server and cloud still is celebrating the choice of a customer to run the product uh, where it best fits them, but provide you know, incredible value in both server and cloud to support uh, uh, you know, where they want to go and where they want to move to. Great, thanks. And then can you give us some color on what the reaction has been from your installed base on the, on the Ops Genie acquisition? And I, and I guess given the price reduction, are you already starting to see transaction volume move significantly higher, or is there some time needed to digest the offering? Uh, Jack, well, we've been, uh, Scott here, we've been very pleased with the response to uh, all the things we've done. We've you know, acquired Ops Genie, we've rebranded it, we've changed pricing, we've put you know, advertising dollars behind it. We've improved the integrations with the rest of our product. So we've been happy with all the, resu the results that have come from all those uh, things. Um, we do have examples of uh, many people in the base who have moved from competitive uh, products to OpsGenie purely on the basis of our acquisition and knowing that uh, the increased integrations uh, will come over time. So we're already seeing some of that earlier on. Um, and so overall, we're very happy with how that's uh, working out. Great. Thank you. Okay, the next question comes from Jack Andrews with Needham and Company. Please go ahead. Hi, gentlemen. It's Connell filling in for Jack today. Uh, congrats on the great quarter. Um, it seems that a majority of the IT first responders are still relying on legacy tools like Excel to manage their alerting system. So what gets IT users to shift behavior to next-gen tools like OpsGenie, and how far away are we from seeing like a critical mass of users um, rely on software to automate their alerting processes? I'll type that again. It's Scott here. Uh, look, you know, we've experienced this over a long time. You know, the majority of uh, people 10 years ago were using spreadsheets to manage their software development process too. Um, and, as, you know, people have to move at a faster pace. As people have to be more collaborative. Uh, we see the shift to tools dedicated to this purpose. And uh, we'll see that. We are seeing that today with IT first responders. There's a large number out there. Um, and as you have to be more, uh, as you have to be quicker in response, as you have to run more cloud services, and increasingly as you become more of a software company producing software for your customers, um, those things need to change. Um, so I would say there's two areas. There's this, uh, one area is people moving from spreadsheets. I would say there's a huge opportunity also from people that just aren't first responders today. Um, many of corporate IT, uh, they don't make change very often. They'll you know, release once a quarter or once a year. Um, internally, it's a very convoluted release process. They're not using public cloud. Um, and as a, as a result, you know, when things don't change, they break less frequently. But we all know that these days the pace of change in the environment is increasing. People are, are using cloud products, and so whether you're internal IT teams or you're producing software for your customers, that pace of change means that uh, you're releasing more often, you're going to have more downtime, um, and all those things drive uh, the need for products like Opportunity uh, to help responders. So I view this like there's lots of different areas that are going to be uh, growth opportunities here, not even, even for people that aren't using spreadsheets today. Okay, that makes sense. And um, as the features and integrations between Jira Ops and Ops Genie kind of converge, um, how does the messaging around IT um, change? Do you guys go to um, trying to sell more of a platform solution, kind of emphasizing the synergies that having multiple products um, bring to the IT user? Uh, yes, uh, that's a really uh, great question. 
Um, we've known, been known, you know, for 15 years now of being amazing for software teams and providing all the products that software teams uh, need to get their jobs done, from confluence that handles requirements and documentation all the way through. And over time, we've seen, uh, you know, IT teams start adopting those products as well, uh, particularly in the software area of the business, but also they use Jira Service Desk across their, you know, help desk environments. They'll use confluence for IT run sheets and run books. So we've had a, a deep presence in IT for a long time, um, but what we're seeing now is as we provide more of the solution, uh, we're becoming more of a trusted vendor at a higher level of the organization, um, you know, CIOs and, and down, who are now also Atlassian as a, a trusted vendor to provide, you know, most if not all of what they need in their uh, IT teams. So that's the sort of market shift that we're seeing at the moment. Okay, great. Thanks, guys. Again, if you have a question, please press star, then one. The next question comes from Patrick Walravens with JMP Securities. Please go ahead. Oh, great, thank you, and congratulations. Can, can I step back and ask how you guys think about um, when you should build it yourself and when you should buy it? And maybe you can use Ops Genie as, as an example. I'll, I'll take that one, uh, Scott here. Uh, we have strong bias to you know, building things. We've got a long history of building, bringing products to market. Um, we brought Bitbucket Server to market. We brought Confluence, Jira, Jira Service Desk, Jira Ops. There's a lot of products we, we bring to market. So that's our, our strong preference. Um, we also have, a, you know, if, if beyond that, if we, you know, the time to market aspect is the, really the reason we would look to bring something in yeah. where we want to move faster or there's an existing product out there. And we also have a very strong marketplace. Um, and, you know, where there's an existing solution in the marketplace where we believe it's something core to our customers, we, you know, lean towards, you know, acquiring something from the marketplace rather than trying to compete with them. So we sort of have a preference there to make things, uh, you know, uh, rather than competing with our own marketplace. Um, and then down the list is, yes, if there's a time to market area, we will uh, look to acquire something. Um, on the acquisition side, we've got a very strong track record of success there in terms of products and, uh, and making sure that they're successful inside the organization. And that comes from our strong bias on acquiring companies that have a strong cultural fit with Atlassian, a strong business model fit in terms of running a high volume, uh, low price um, uh, product, and also having you know, a fit with our customer base. And Opsgenie fits, you know, in Opsgenie specifically, uh, that fits very strongly in all three of those, you know, great cultural fit, perfect business model alignment and, you know, fits right into the customer base and, and the next thing they need to buy. Great. Thank you. And do you guys have, you know, are there still major gaps sort of functionally for IT ops or do you have most of what you need now? Uh, I, I'd say there's a, it's an interesting question. I'd say we provide a, a huge amount of what IT do today. So if I think internally the areas we're focused on, one is that we're, you know, changing that perception so people do turn to us and look through the stable products and, and see what we already have to serve them. Um, but we are still building and investing. Um, you know, we have a huge R&D investment to uh, tackle the areas we don't have at the moment. Um, and some of those are, uh, you know, very small adjacencies, um, you know, on top of the platforms we've already got. Um, and you see with Jira, you know, we've, we've got this incredible platform in Jira that handles a lot of workflow. And often it's a case of just uh, targeting specific workflows you know, I see on top of the platform that we've already built. Okay, great. Thank you. 
Okay, this concludes our question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to the management team for any closing remarks. Thanks everyone for joining the call today. Uh, we appreciate the time uh, and look forward to keeping you updated on our progress. Thanks a lot. The conference has now concluded. Thank you for attending today's presentation. You may now disconnect.